Well, let's pray again before we, we read the, the scripture for this morning. Our Lord and our God, as we approach this passage of scripture, Lord, we see your providential care as you provide a wife for Isaac, as you provide a husband for Rebecca. Lord, we see that this is a continuation of the promises that you have given to Abraham. Lord, and ultimately, these are also promises that, that you have given to us, not necessarily uh, the, the promise of a, of a husband or wife, even though many of us are married here, or even for husbands and wives for our children. But Lord, this is the, the promise of a seed. Lord, the promise of the seed of the woman that you gave back in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman, our Lord Jesus Christ, who had crushed the serpent's head. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning, that we would see your divine sovereignty. Lord, that we would see your providential care for your children. And Lord, that we'll also see how, how your providential care also extends to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask if you're able, if you could please stand with us out of reverence for the word of our God. I'm going to read um, Genesis chapter 24. Um, and if you are unable or, or um, for, for whatever reason you are, you're unable to, to stand for, for this long, um, please feel free to sit down. This is uh, the longest chapter in Genesis. This is uh, um, three times the, the, the length, over three times the length of the chapter that I went through last week. So um, it's also going to be a very long sermon. I'm just kidding. So but you can you can prepare yourself for that maybe a little a little bit longer than usual genesis 24 now abraham was old well advanced in years and the lord had blessed abraham in all things and abraham said to his servant the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he had put your hand under my thigh that i may make you swear by the lord the god of heaven and the god of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the canaanites among whom i dwell but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son isaac the servant said to him perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land must i then take your son back to the land from which you came abraham said to him see to it that you do not take my son back there the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. But, the woman, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning his master. And the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down beside the city, by the well of water, at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show, me steadfast, show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. 
Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jug on her shoulders. The young woman was also very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her, upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him his drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are, if there is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night. She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you should go to my father's house, to my clan, and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You should take a wife for my son from my clan and my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And he will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I finish speaking in my heart, behold, 
Rebecca came out with a water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank. She gave the camels to drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore for him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets in her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, thing has, has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least ten days, and after that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and, Rebe and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahoiroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. May please be seated. Everyone loves a good love story. This morning we're going to witness one of the most beautiful love stories in the Bible. But this is no Hallmark Christmas movie. This isn't one of those trite, predictable, sappy love stories. And if, if you like those movies, there's no offense atten intended. But, but like a typical Hallmark, Hallmark movie, in this story, a, a lonely hometown boy connects with a beautiful girl from out of town and they fall in love. But that's where the similarities end. This story is a love story, but it is ultimately a love story about God's love for his chosen people. Now, most of you know that I had a long season of singleness before I met Jane, a very long 
season of singleness. And several of you knew me during that time, and, and you knew that I, I wasn't one of those guys that, that sat on the fence waiting for Miss Wright to come along. I was single, but it wasn't for a lack of trying to find someone. Well, many years ago, not long after I'd moved to Australia, um, a good friend of mine was killed in a, in a car crash, and he was on his way home from dinner with his, with his dad and his sister when a driver who had been drinking broadsided his car, and he died almost instantly. Um, he was within a couple of kilometers of home. His mom heard the sirens. But not long after his death, both of his parents came back to the Lord. And I became close with the family. I also began a friendship with his sister, but I kept that relationship at, at arm's length because she wasn't a Christian. But about a year later, she came to faith. And on the night that she committed her life to the Lord, for the first time, I was a new believer then, for the first time I read Proverbs 8.22. This is the first time I read it. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I wept. I thought that this was God's message for me. I thought that God was telling me that, that she was going to be my wife. Now, don't worry, Jane knows all about this. And, and I asked her and she thought it wouldn't be too weird for me to tell this story. But, but I, I was a new believer and I, I really had an unbiblical understanding of guidance. I was using God's word like a horoscope. Now, this was God's word for me. Proverbs 18, 22 was God's word for me, but not how I'd interpreted it to be. At this time, I was also misguided by, by all kinds of, of crazy coincidences that I, I took to be signs. I saw them as, as guidance from the Lord. Well, here I am 20 years later, and, and needless to say that it, it didn't work out. And I won't bore you with the details. If you, if you want boring details, go watch a, a Hallmark movie instead. Um, Proverbs 18.22 is true. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Yes, a, a Christian man marrying a Christian woman is a good thing. As I said to the kids, though, marriage isn't always easy. Marriage brings challenges with it. It exposes sinful tendencies. However, in the life of the believer, marriage is a good thing. It is favor from the Lord. Now, it's possible that the Lord may have a different kind of favor for you, the, the favor that where he calls you to be single for his, his purposes, or at, at least for, for a time when you're single, he has you single for his purposes. But for those who God has ordained marriage, it is a good and perfect gift from his sovereign hand. A spouse is God's gracious providence in your life. But we need to be very careful not to use God's word in a way that it was never intended to be used. Now, some people use Genesis 24, that this passage, as, as a proof text to show that it's the responsibility of fathers to find a spouse for their children. Now, don't get me wrong, it, it is faithful fathers should be involved in the process. That's not what this passage is teaching. Let me explain. The Bible provides clear precepts 
and principles that are, which are, are commands to, sorry, first the clear precepts that are commands to be followed. It, it also provides principles like those in the Proverbs that, that are given as wise ways for us to conduct ourselves. But there are those who say that in addition to precept and principle, that there are patterns in the scripture that are to be followed. So they look at at the pattern, like the the one here you see in Genesis 24, and they make them morally binding on the believer. And that in the narratives like the one before us, we see patterns that we must follow. Now, friends, that's bad hermeneutics. That's bad hermeneutics. There are lessons to be learned here. There are lessons that do apply to us. We do draw principles out of this pattern, but narratives on their own are not necessarily to be followed. We need to consider the broader context of Scripture to look at the clear precepts, the clear principles, in order to determine how God would have us apply passages such as this one to our lives. That's my job as I look at this narrative of Scripture. It's, it's, my, it's my job, it's my duty before, before God to, to, to look at the meaning of the text and then to rightly interpret it and look at the, the enduring truth that applies for all ages. Remember, this was not originally written to us. This was originally written to the people of Israel prior to their entering the promised land. But I need to, to try to discern the, the enduring application of this for us as God's people today. I need to help us to see what we can learn about God, what we can learn about ourselves, and a relationship with Him as we look at these narrative passages of Scripture. I try to do that every week. This passage is about Isaac and Rebekah coming together but it is also about much more than that. This is another transitional passage as this Toledot draws to a close as the story of of Abraham and Sarah is coming to an end. It's transitioning towards Isaac and Rebekah. Now remember, we were already introduced to Rebekah in chapter 22. She is depicted... um, here in this passage as as faithful to God's call as she like Abraham is is called to leave her country and her kindred and to go into the promised land so in this passage we, we see Abraham depicted yet again as faithful as he entrusts his son's future and the promise to the Lord we also see Abraham's servant being faithful as he fulfills his oath so Sarah, or sorry, Rebecca is being faithful. Abraham is being faithful. The servant is being faithful. But the main point of this passage, yet again, is that God is faithful. It's about how the Lord is faithful in his providential care for Abraham, for Isaac, for Rebecca, and for future generations as he provides a wife for Isaac. But the application here isn't just about about trusting the Lord to find a a wife for your son or a a husband for your daughter. It's also about entrusting your children's future, all of it, to the Lord. It's also about entrusting your future to the Lord. And why is that? It's because in this chapter we see the continuation of the line of promise, the continuing fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. As I mentioned earlier, this is the the longest chapter in Genesis. It can be divided um, into four scenes. In scene one, Abraham commissions his servant, verses one to nine. In scene two, the servant finds Rebekah in verses 
10 to 27. In scene three, we, we see the servant with Rebecca and her family. And then finally, in scene four, Rebecca returns with the servant and marries Isaac. So scene one, Abraham commissions his servant. As we begin chapter 24, Abraham, we're, we're told, was old, very old. He is well advanced in years. He's considered to be, at this, at this time, about 140 years old. And the Lord, we're told, has, has blessed Abraham in all things. And here in his twilight years, Abraham is still looking forwards. He knows that Isaac needs a wife. And he knows that he may not have much time to see it happen. Now, if Abraham was 140, that makes Isaac 40. Now, I know what it's like to be 40 and single. It has its challenges. This provides another demonstration for Abraham's faith. He considered God's promises and came up with a plan. Now, God has blessed him in all things, and God is not going to stop blessing him now. So he calls his oldest servant, his chief servant, to his side. This is possibly Eleazar of Damascus, who we learned about in Genesis 15. And he makes him swear an oath. The, the servant is told to put his hand under Abraham's thigh and, and to, to, to swear this oath. And, you know, in our day, thankfully, we, we, we do a handshake to, to swear an oath. This, is, this, is, this sounds incredibly awkward. Uh, this is an example of, of the cultural distance that we often find in Scripture. It makes, sometimes makes it hard to interpret because these are things are, are very different from what we do today. The first time that I was in, in Papua New Guinea, I was, was hiking through a village and an elderly lady, not much than four feet tall, greeted me by grabbing me under my thigh. Now, that wasn't for an oath. Um, with the, the history of cannibalism in that region, I wondered if she was trying to see how much meat I had on my bones. <laughs> But anyway, because striking one's thigh seems in that, in that culture, it's, it's referred to elsewhere in Scripture as being a sign of, of remorse and submission, it, it might have been a, a, a pointer to, or of, of submission to, to Abraham's strength and authority. That's possibly what it means. There's, there's other possibilities. But this is, the, the, this is not the only place that that happens. It also happens in Genesis 47 under somewhat parallel circumstances when Jacob calls Joseph to do the same thing, to signify an oath not to bury him in Egypt. So here we have an, an elderly man who's close to death and it deals with, with the land and, and not entering the promised land. Again, we are not leaving the promised land. We, we can't know for, for certain, again, what these things are about, but, but there's, there's some markers here of what's going on. And the oath here is that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So Abraham is telling the servant to make a solemn oath before the God of the universe to find a wife for Isaac. And there, there are three stipulations to this oath. The first two we, we see here, and then the third one we're going to see in a moment. The, the one is no Canaanites. No Canaanites. And, and second, the, the, this, this woman is to be from Abraham's country and kindred. Now the charge to, to marry one of God's people is, is seen clearly in, in both the Old and the New Testaments. Although for a variety of reasons that I've seen that 
again, for some reason that, that women seem to be more tempted to marry unbelieving men than the other way around. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why that is, but, but, but either way, whether it's a, a believing man with a, an unbelieving woman or a believing woman with an unbelieving man, it is off limits. Don't even go there. Children, you need to set in your mind now, if you're going to follow Christ, that you're not even going to, to develop an interest in, in somebody who is not a believer. You need to set your heart and your mind on that now because if you don't, what's going to happen is, is, is girl, some, some guy's going to come along and he's going to try to sweep you off your feet. And he's going to try to convince you to go against what you know to be right. And, and, and guys, the same thing can happen to you. You need to set your heart on that now while you're young. The servant understands that... that that the going to another country and convincing the woman to come back and to, to marry a man that she's never met is a daunting task. So he wisely asks, well, if she refuses to come back, can I bring Isaac to her? Well, now we see the third stipulation. Isaac must not go back there. So Isaac must not marry outside the family and he must not go outside the country. If he's going to inherit the land, he must not marry someone whose people are going to be removed from the land, and he must not remove himself from the land. And now Abraham tells the servant the reason for his confidence. It's the Lord. It's the God of heaven who promised Abraham the land. And so Abraham is confident that, that God will send his angel to guide the servant and to ensure the success of his mission. But Abraham does concede that if the woman is not willing to come back, then the servant will be released from his oath. And so the servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh and makes an oath. Now Abraham was, was confident that the Lord would provide a wife for Isaac because the Lord had provided Isaac. He's really seeing a continuation of God's promises, that, that God is faithful, that his, his character is not going to change midstream. That God is going to fulfill what is promised according to his character. Abraham was also confident that Isaac would inherit the land because he had already begun to fulfill that promise by giving him the cave of Machpelah. We saw that in the last chapter. So now what about us? Well, you're not 140. You don't have anywhere close to the same number of years of walking with the Lord that Abraham did. But you can say, those of you who are here as Christians, you can say, like Abraham, that the Lord has never failed you. You can say, like Abraham, that God has blessed you in all things. He has never let you down. Now, most of us here are married. And, and so you're, you're, you, you might not be, be worried about, about finding a wife for yourself or a, or a husband for yourself. Or for those of us with children, you might, maybe your children are married. You don't, maybe you're not in a position of life where you need to be, be where you're, you're, you're worried or really thinking about, about that. But maybe you're wondering about what the future will be like for your children. Well, that's something that, that Jane and I were, were just talking about the other night. We're, we're looking at the world that our, our children are growing up in. We're seeing the trajectory of our culture, and we're concerned. We're concerned about the world that our children are, are growing up in. Now, and I think it's, it's natural, it's right for parents to be concerned about these, these things, but then the issue is how you respond to it. We could just fatalistically let them be. We could say, well, it's going to happen, what's going to happen, we'll just leave it and let it go. 
Or we could develop a, a, a fortress mentality. We could, we could circle the wagons and say, we're not letting their children ever leave the home. I think both of those are, are, are wrong responses, extremes on, on either end of the spectrum. But rather, we, we prayerfully trust our children to the Lord, as I trust you are doing the same, and look for opportunities to be able to bring God's word to bear in their life, to prepare them, to, to teach them to think biblically, and to, to, to begin to, to think differently from the culture, to, to think critically and to discern what, what's going on from a, a biblical, from a Christian worldview. This is something that, that, that you need to inculcate into your children at a young age, even before they come to faith. To show them the inconsistencies and the, the, the errors of the, of the wickedness of, of this world in, in which we live. But in that, we entrust our children's future to the Lord. We, we trust that there's, there's going to be a time when we're not going to be here. We have to entrust the, our children's future to the Lord and, and grandchildren and future generations. But because God is who He is, because God is faithful, we can entrust our children and their future to the Lord. And we can also entrust our future to the Lord. Because God is sovereign and He cares. So that's some of one of the things we, le we learn about, about the Lord here in this passage. In scene 2, in verses 10 to 27, the servant finds Rebekah. The servant displays in this, in this section, um, and really in the, in the whole chapter, two kinds of faith. Resting faith and acting faith. Resting faith is the faith that's, that simply trusts. But acting faith is the, fact, is the, the faith that does so acting on faith, the servant loads up 10 of Abraham's camels with, with hand-picked gifts and sets out for Mesopotamia. Now Mesopotamia means, means um, it's the middle of two rivers. And the, the Hebrew is similar, Aram Naharim, um, it, which means Aram of the two rivers. The, the two rivers that are being spoken of here are the, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. And so after a, a month of travel, he arrives at Nahor. And the city is named after uh, Abraham's grandfather and, and his brother is living there as well. Or was living there as well. He arrives in the, in the evening and causes the camels to kneel by the well outside the city. And our anticipation rises as we find out that this is the time that the, the women gather water. And so in verses 12 to 14, the servant prays. First time he prays here in this, in this passage, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I might drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. This is a beautiful prayer. He is praying on behalf of Abraham. And it's apparent that we can see from this here, too, we can see here from this as well, that we can see that, that, uh, that um, he also is, is one of God's servants, that, that he himself is, is a believer, trust in the Lord. 
But he's speaking here on the basis of the God's promises to Abraham. He's, he's appealing to the Lord's covenant relationship with Abraham, appealing to God's steadfast love. And he asks that the woman who he speaks to will give him a drink of water and will water his camels, so proving that she is the one for Isaac. This is no small request, either for the Lord or the woman. It isn't a small request for the woman because of what's involved in watering 10 camels. A a thirsty camel can drink up to 30 gallons of water in less than 15 minutes. It's also not a small request for the Lord because, not because it would be difficult for the Lord to to answer this, but because of the boldness. This this prayer is very urgent. He, He says, Lord, grant me success today. Well, it's evening, and so today is quickly running out. It's also very specific. He's asking to be providentially directed to this very woman. Now, some people consider that that Abraham here is is asking for a sign in the similar way that, that Gideon asked for a sign. But the difference is important. When we consider Gideon in, in Judges, God had told Gideon what to do. But Gideon didn't trust the Lord's word, so he asks for confirmation twice. This servant, however, acted in faith. He was acting in faith. And furthermore, this isn't a completely unrelated test like a wet or a dry fleece. This is a test of character. A woman who is willing not only to, to draw water for a foreigner, but also for all these camels, is a woman who is kind and hospitable and hardworking. These are, are three important traits that, that, that are, were important in that culture and should be important in ours. And hospitality is going to be a, a big theme with the rest of this chapter. So we're left wondering here, is the Lord going to answer the servant's bold prayer? Well, look what happens next. Verse 15. Before he's even finished praying, the answer arrives. And she comes out carrying her water jar. And we're given insider information. This is Rebecca, the woman we were introduced to in chapter 22. We're told that, that she is the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. And now she's described for us. She's beautiful. She's of marrying age, and she's chaste. Her character was essential. Her beauty was a bonus. But here she was, kind, hospitable, hardworking, of the right age, pure and beautiful. She is the whole package. I remember a a professor of mine telling me to go for the package. And I, I wrote him when I met Jane and told him, I think I've found the package. Um, the, the servant runs to meet Rebecca and asks her for a drink. And notice the, the haste that's communicated here. Imagine that the servant's excitement as she quickly gives him a drink and then proceeds to offer water, to draw water for the camels. And not, not to, just to give them a sip, but to, to give them water until they finish drinking. And so she quickly poured her, her water jar into the trough and ran back to the well to fill it. Do the math on this. 10 camels, 30 gallons of water each, that's 300 gallons. And her water jug would have held around three gallons of water. So she would have had to make up to 100 trips 
to water these camels. She, she's, in a, a, she's in a flurry of hospitality. Between verses 17 and 20, she's the, the subject of 11 action verbs and one of speech. And everything she does, she, she does quickly, running. And so, so her kind, hospitable, hardworking character are definitely on display. The servant's prayer seems to be answered, but notice that he doesn't yet act. And so here the, the pace slows down. This is resting faith. He doesn't need to jump quickly. So he gazes at her in silence to see whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. Now the servant doesn't yet know what we know. He doesn't know her name. He doesn't know who, who's relative, that she's Abraham's relative. Remember that the second stipulation that Abraham had laid down, that the woman must be from among his family. And so the servant is about to find out. Now, now the fact that, that, he, that he didn't jump here, that he was still waiting to find out, is further evidence that he wasn't looking for, for a sign. Even when his request was, was answered so specifically, he still waited. And this, this highlights the, the danger that I mentioned earlier that people often fall into or easily fall into when they're interpreting Scripture when they look at narratives as prescriptive, that, that when they look at the stories of the Bible and conclude that the behavior of the characters is to be emulated. Now that kind of thinking had, had me wrongly following Gideon looking for signs. But the context of this narrative shows not the word to look for signs in, 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 in Gideon's case, but what God can do through a man with little faith. That's what's on display there in Judges. But many people are like I was. They, they have a wrong understanding of how God guides us. And so, so they, they pull passages and promises out of context and apply them to themselves. They look for signs. Now we are never, ever told in Scripture that we are to look for signs. Never. But how, I, it's, it shocks me how often I hear people looking for signs for confirmation. It's not a biblical concept. Signs are subjective and can be easily misinterpreted. They can easily be based on the, the imaginations or the desires of our hearts. Now listen, this is really important. The servant does give us practical lessons on how we can look for guidance here. But, but ones that we can see from, from direct precept and principle that are promoted in God's word. Notice what's the what the first thing he does is he prays. He prays. Next, notice the, the things that, that he is looking for. A hospitable, hard-working, kind character. Qualities that are exalted in Scripture. Derek Thomas adds that he's, he's looking for someone who, in the language of the New Testament, has a meek and gentle spirit. That's what he's looking for in terms of a wife for his master's son. So there are three steps in seeking guidance from the Lord. These are the first two. Pray and look to God's word. We'll see the third shortly. After the camels have finished drinking, the man puts a gold ring and two bracelets on the woman's arms. Now this is no small gift. Ten and a half shekels was, was worth over five months' wages. And so he asks her about her family and whether he can stay with her at her father's house for the night. 
And so now the servant discovers her identity. She is indeed from Abraham's family. She is Abraham's great niece. And so she offers him not just a room, but also food for the camels, again displaying abundant kindness and, and hospitality. And how does the servant respond? He responds with worship. He bows his head and prays again. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So again, the focus is, is on the Lord's faithfulness in blessing Abraham. And the servant is here, here is being blessed as the agent of God's blessing. He acknowledges that this is the Lord's doing. Friends, prayer is the channel through which God's providential blessing grows. But prayer is also the right response to God's providential blessing. Do you understand that? That, that God has decreed that he would, would, would work in response to our prayers. And he's also decreed that we would worship him in, in, as we receive his faithful response to our prayers. This faithful servant who has trusted the Lord to direct him to the right woman. And he now sees his prayer answered. So this servant here has, has traveled for a month. He's, he's gone to the exact place. He, he finds the girl. He acts with wisdom. He acts with loyalty. But God gets the glory. God gets the glory. I wonder, how do you respond to success? How do you respond to success? If, if it pumps up your pride, your thinking is fleshly. The godly person is humbled by success, knowing from whence it comes, knowing that, that any success that we enjoy in this life is the Lord's doing. Now, unbelievers will naturally gravitate to a prideful response. And if we're honest, we will acknowledge that, that all of us are, are tempted to, to respond with pride sometimes. But, but Christians will grow in humility and they will grow in a desire for God to be glorified in what he is doing. And so now Rebecca runs again, this time to f tell her family what has just transpired. Scene three, the servant with Rebecca and her family, verses 28 to 60. So in this scene, the servant communicates the Lord's providence to Rebecca's family. First we meet Laban, Rebecca's brother. And now Laban runs out to the servant who's, who's still there at the well. We, we get a, a hint here of Laban's greed as he, he takes note of the jewelry that's been given to Rebecca. Now Laban's greed is gonna be on full display later in Genesis, but, but here his hospitality is demonstrated. He shows lavish hospitality to the servant and puts down a sumptuous meal in front of him, but, but the servant is on a mission. He says, I won't eat until I've said what needs to be said. So first, the servant explains in great detail how the Lord has greatly blessed Abraham. Abraham is, is a very wealthy man, but that's not all. The Lord has also given Abraham a son in Sarah's old age. And now you can imagine Laban's excitement as he hears that there's a man a potential husband for his sister, who as the lone heir would also in turn become very wealthy. And then the servant almost verbatim, 
relays Abraham's charge to find a wife for Isaac from among his people. He testifies to Abraham's faith that the Lord would guide him and prosper his mission. And then he relays the events with Rebekah at the well, and especially of the Lord's providential answer to his prayer and of his worshipful, worshipful response to it. So then finally in verses 48 and 49, he gets to the heart of the issue. I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So he puts it to Laban and Bethuel in the same terms that he used to speak of God's blessing. So he's asking him, are, are you going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham? Make your decision. See what he's doing there. He's, he's seeking corroboration. Again from Derek Thomas, he asks, he asks Laban, he asks Bethuel, Rebecca's father, he asks the mother, he asks, do you, do you see this as the corroboration of the providence of God? He goes on to say that, that God doesn't just give, his per, give us personal guidance, but he gives that guidance in the corporate fellowship of his people. This is the third step in seeking guidance. And again, you can see this in clear precept and principle in Scripture. Remember the first two, pray and look to God's word. The third is to seek wise counsel. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. But, but your confidence isn't in, isn't in your wisdom or in the wisdom of others. It's in the Lord. Proverbs 19.21, the next verse says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. The, the servant doesn't have to coerce Laban and Bethuel. He simply lays out the facts and the Lord works in their hearts. And this is, this is the, the final step, really, of, of once you've... Once you've, you've prayed, once you've looked to God's word, once you've sought wise counsel, you just make a decision and trust in the Lord's providence that, that his will will be done. And so, so the servant here is, he's not ultimately relying on the, the circumstances, but he's relying on the Lord. He's relying on the Lord to fulfill his plan out of his covenant faithfulness. And so Laban and Bethuel don't hesitate. Verses 50 and 51. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. They now know that this is a match that was made in heaven. And so is yours. Your marriage is a match made in heaven. Your spouse has been given to you by the Lord every bit as much as Rebekah was given to Isaac. Be thankful for God's good gift. Remember Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A, a Christian wife is God's gift to a Christian husband. A Christian husband is God's gift to a Christian wife and it is blessing from the Lord. And then how does the servant respond? Again, he worships. 
This time, he bows himself to the earth before the Lord. First he stood in prayer, then he bowed his head in prayer. Now he prostrates himself before the Lord. God, again, gets all the glory for what he has done. And the servant gives a costly dowry to the family. And then with this done, he can now eat with a free heart. But there's a complication. Rebecca's family want her to stay for 10 days so that they can say goodbye. But again, the servant shows haste. Verse 56, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And so they put the question to Rebecca. Will you go with the man? Well, she doesn't need to be coerced either. So she, she simply says, I will go. She is being depicted as being totally willing to be married to Isaac. Now, I know of situations where, where a young man has approached a young lady and, and said, I haven't done this. Um, a young man has approached a young lady and says, said, God has told me that you are going to be my wife. And at least one case, the young lady responded, well, he hasn't told me. <laughs> the family acquiesces and sends Rebecca away with her nurse. This, this nurse, as an aside, is Deborah, Rebecca's faithful servant, who we'll hear about later in a later chapter. Laban and Bethuel then pronounce two blessings on the bride-to-be, that of a numerous offspring and victory over enemies. Do, do those blessings sound familiar? They echo the blessing that has been conferred again and again by the Lord upon Abraham. Just notice for a second that the contrast with, with this departure of Rebekah to the house of Isaac from, from the house of, of Bethuel and Laban contrasted with the departure of, of Jacob and Rebekah and Leah from the house of Laban in chapter 31. Very, very different circumstances. Very different circumstances. Scene four. Rebekah returns with a servant and marries Isaac. Verses 61 to 67. Rebekah and her servants climb onto the camels and follow the servant back to Canaan. Then we see Isaac. He's returned from Beer Lahoy Roy, the same place that the Lord had first spoken to Hagar. He's now dwelling in the Negev. Isaac is here depicted as, as lonely in the wilderness, out in the field, meditating by himself. And so he lifts, lifts up his eyes and, and he sees the entourage coming. This is a poignant moment, not like a, a cheesy Hallmark movie. It calls to mind God's presentation of Eve to Adam. Rebecca sees Isaac and dismounts from her camel and asks the servant who he is. Just think for a moment about, about the first time you lit your eyes on your spouse, the first time that you saw them, and, and just how there's, I get a little spring in my heart even just thinking about it now, about that, that blessing of that moment. What, what a special and poignant moment this is. This is a very tender moment that, that shows God's, God's tender love, not just for, 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 yes, certainly for big picture issues, but he cares about individual people. He cares about you. The servant replies, it's my master. Again, you see how the narrative is, is shifting from Abraham to Isaac. And in a, in a custom that, that represented her betrothal, Rebekah dons a veil. And now the servant relays to Isaac all that's transpired on his journey. And so Isaac brings Rebekah into Sarah's tent. 
Here, Rebekah is being presented as the, the new matriarch and as a comfort to Isaac in Sarah's death. And Rebekah became Isaac's wife, and he loved her. The end. Well, it's the end of the chapter, but it's not the end of the story. God is going to finish what he started. And God is going to finish what he started for you as well. Again, this is much bigger than the story of a lonely man finding a wife. Yes, our father is faithful and he will not withhold any good gift from his children. But, but in, God's, in God's clear providence, we're getting a sense of the importance of, of this marriage for redemption history. This is, this is much bigger than, than just Isaac and Rebekah. There's something bigger going on than, than just your personal needs and your marriage as well. Your marriage isn't just about you and your spouse. You have a role to play in redemption history. This here is a, is a key part of the picture of God's fulfillment of his promise in Genesis 3.15. Again, of the, the head of the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. If you're here as a believer this morning, you can trust that the Lord will providentially guide you and provide for you according to his covenant faithfulness. God alone knows his providential will. It cannot be surmised, but neither can it be thwarted. God will accomplish his providential will. Brothers and sisters, you don't have the same promises as Abraham. But you have the same God as Abraham. We sang about this earlier. You, you don't have the same temporal promises, but you have the same eternal promises. You haven't been promised a physical offspring or a physical land, but you have been promised a, a spiritual land and a spiritual offspring. You've been promised paradise with God. You've been promised that you will make an impact on the lives of others for the glory of God. Which promises matter more? You can be faithful that God will accomplish through you whatever he wants to accomplish. And it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on you. We're not talking about fatalism here. Like Abraham, we are called to act on God's promises. Like Rebecca, like the servant, we are called to act on God's promises. But like the success of the servant, servant's mission depends on God's providence, success on your mission depends on God's providence too. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this glorious passage of Scripture. For that we see your tender love for individuals. And Lord, in it we see your providential plan and your care to bring to bring the Savior into the world, to die for your bride, the bride of Christ, the church. And so, Lord, we here who are the bride of Christ, Lord, we rejoice in this great salvation that, that we have received as a, a gift from you. Lord, we look forward with eager anticipation of the fulfillment of your promises as we go to be with you for all eternity.
Lord, in the meanwhile, as you have called us to live here in this life until the day when you take us home, Lord, help us to be faithful, to rest on your promises and to act on your promises for your glory and for the building of your church. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.